Good evening, everyone. It's Kate Mack coming at you from Halifax, Nova Scotia, and it was another beautiful day out there this weekend. It's a bit cool, but sunny and just warm enough to play tennis in. I mean, if it was one degree less, if it was five degrees Celsius, for example, I wouldn't have been able to play. You had to move around really fast and, uh, you know, like like by 1.30, you could stand still and it was okay. You know, you had to be moving constantly. Um, so yeah, so yeah, so this is a very exciting week for me because I was able to play my first outdoor game of tennis. Ah, so great to get outside, rip the mask off and uh, play outside. Yeah, so it's amazing how early the nets went up this year. And I was thinking they're usually put up at the in the middle of April, but this year they were put up right at the end of the Mar- uh, at the end of March, excuse me. And I'm pretty sure pretty sure it has something to do with the pandemic, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it was really cold playing tennis today, I have to say again. Uh, my friend and I walked onto the court and I said to him, Well, at least we have all the courts to ourselves today. Nobody will want to be out here. Mm-hmm. Why did I think that? We're in Nova Scotia. 45 minutes later, people were lined up and waiting for a court in their shorts and t-shirts. Ah, jeez. Us, us Canadians really know how to brave the, brave the cold temperatures, I must say. So, yeah. So, um, we have winters here like every other province in Canada. But there's surprisingly quite a large tennis culture here in Halifax. Um, you know, we have the largest uh, tennis uh, facility east of Montreal. We've got the Wagwaltic Tennis Club and lots of great courts to play on that are owned by the city. I really like playing in the commons, right in the middle. It's action packed and a lot of fun. But I also really like playing at this little set of courts at Westmount. So it's just on the other side of town, and not a lot of people go there unless you're unless you live in the neighborhood. So it's kind of like a little secret. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> yeah. It's just a little bit quiet, more quiet there and less distracting. So, but yeah, uh, Halifax is a great place to play uh, tennis in during the summer. You can book a pro from the city and take clinics and do lessons. It's great. Yeah. So, yeah, so this is my fourth podcast. And for those of you who are just tuning in, my show is about empowering individual individuals, excuse me, through the application of critical thinking when we analyze information. So as I've mentioned, we've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and several news networks dishing out information 24-7. It's not like the old days. We've got many two-way forms of conversation going on. Um, It's very important that we apply our critical thinking and are in charge of the information we receive. That's my view. Um, So I personally rely on on CBC for news updates because I do find the facts, for the most part, are are well-researched and delivered objectively. I mean, everything comes with a little bit of bias, of course, but, you know, I do think they do a pretty good job of presenting facts or information. So, so that really ties in with my theme about education and the way it empowers us to think critically about pressing issues and events. And for those of you who are also tuning, tuning in for the first time, my podcast also discusses the role art plays in empowering individuals by helping everybody express themselves. So I'll be bringing up an intriguing documentary that was debuted at the 2013 Atlantic Film Festival in just a little bit here. Be stay tuned. 
uh, to talk about that. So this week uh, in particular, I wanted to talk about an excellent TED Talk I recently, or recently watched. It was about empowering people and challenging oppression in every form. The lecture was given by Wanda Thomas Bernard. So the title of the lecture was called, it was Finding Courage to be an Ally in the Fight for Rights. Hmm. So first let me talk about this lecture's impressive accomplishments. So after doing some research on her, I found out that she's an educator from East Preston, Nova Scotia and specializes her research in anti-oppression and diversity. Now this is really amazing. In 2016, she became the first African Nova Scotian woman to serve in the Senate chamber. So you can read all about her in many online articles. She's very accomplished. Uh, and she's a very powerful individual in the way she advocates uh, for, for human rights. So let's go back to her discussion on being an ally, an ally in her lecture, excuse me. So in her talk, she describes her triple A paradigm in helping marginalized people move forward. She talks about the fact that we need to first be aware of the forms of oppression out there that exist out there. The second A she talks about is the need to analyze these forms of oppression and to get to the bottom of things in doing so. So for instance, she talked for instance, she talked about how women are more likely to have a set of expectations placed on them to stay at home. Um instead of men, like with their children. And her third A, lastly, her third A in her triple A paradigm, uh, her, her formula was talking about like, taking action as an individual and having the courage to leverage your privilege to help others. So I'm not going to explain her lecture. Uh, you just have to see it for yourself because uh, I don't, you know, I just wanted to mention it because I was so inspired. I want to talk about it because it was such an inspiring lecture. Like after I saw it, my jaw dropped and I was silent for about five minutes, sort of thinking about everything she said and all the issues she addressed. It was, it was an amazing lecture. Um, and what was, like I mentioned in my last podcast, she was able to, to say a lot in a very little period of time. You know, I, that, that's impressive. So there are many layers to her speech, but I, I guess the biggest thing I got from her lecture was the notion of challenging oppression in every form uh, that exists, you know, in every form in our society. And, you know, I really do believe that you need to be an ally in the fight for people's rights. I agree. So... Uh, while I was watching her lecture over and over, a documentary came to mind. It was featured in the Atlantic Film Festival about 10 years ago. It won a couple of impressive awards and was also nominated for the documentary Best Documentary Emmy Award. And it's about what it's titled, A Small Act. Yeah, so just to give you a little background on the documentary, it's about a human rights activist from Sweden who fled Nazi Germany during the war and how she made an impromptu decision to donate money to a student in Kenya. Now, what is so cool about this story is that this child who received money to go to secondary school from this woman, woman, and you know, he was able to go to secondary school in Kenya, 
ended up attending university in Nairobi and then ventured on to get a Harvard uh, law degree, a Harvard School law degree in Boston, Massachusetts. So, wow. So the donor, now another layer, another extension to this story that makes it very inspiring, especially inspiring, is that the donor and scholar apparently lost touch for 25 years. And when they somehow made contact again, she was starstruck in learning that he had started a foundation of his own for Kenyan students, for Kenyan children and students. So it's an it's an amazing story about people helping people, people empowering people. It really touched me. And it goes to show that small acts of kindness, or that small acts, hence the name of the film, can go a long way. Yeah. So it's on... Uh, it was debuted at the film festival, but it is on YouTube if you're interested in watching it. It's called A Small Act. Love, beautiful story. Yeah. Yeah, so that's my bit for this week on education and art and the role these societal pillars play in preserving our democracy. Uh, so on a really sunny note, it looks like tomorrow is going to be another decent day. And I've actually already got another game of tennis lined up with one of my friends after school. And, uh, you know, taking advantage of the nice weather, like, a, you know, that's what we do up here because it's winter for a long time and it's like so exciting to get out. So as I was saying earlier, COVID has certainly changed, uh, changed things around here in terms of playing season. I know like last year, my friend and I, another friend I play tennis with, we, we, we had so much trouble getting an outdoor court. Um, you know, everyone during COVID just wants to get out there and hit, you know, they've got their own schedules because most people are working from home or some people are, uh, in Nova Scotia. But, um, yeah, <laughs> I had this funny inside joke with one of my friends that we, we said, well, we might get to go to the Rogers Cup this year because of COVID. Like, <laughs> He might actually take us, you know? <laughs> like, the pros not may not want to go this year. Maybe we can get in there. There's a really funny joke between us. And um, and actually, to be honest, I think she thought I was... She kind of humored me. Probably thought I was a little out to lunch, and I joked about that. She's like, oh, sure, Kate. Mm, sure. Yeah, it was really funny. So, so now, you know, speaking of being invited to play at the Rogers Cup... I think I may have found a way to get there. <laughs> Seriously. I've got this freaky backhand. Like, just to give you some perspective, I could stop playing for months and still ace this this particular backhand shot. I'm not kidding. I've actually called it the Tim Horton sure shot, the Kate McLeod Tim Horton sure shot, because it's the same every time. <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know how, but it is. Got the same power, same distance, same place every time that I hit it. It gets the opponents every time. Yeah. So it's kind of a silly, silly thing. I don't know. It's like a freak shot I have. So for those of you who don't know, the, the, I have to give credit to the man who invented the Tim Hortons sure shot. I'm going off, on, going off here, sorry. Uh, but I've got to give credit to the Tim Horton Sure Shot invention. It's this like one unit dispensing dispensing machine invited by this cool guy named Michael J uh, Michael Michael Doc from New Jersey, and he is really cool. Uh, yeah, he invented this like one unit dispensing machine in the 80s, 
and marketed it. He gave it to Tim Hortons for free for a few months to try. And Tim Hortons just like said, wow, this is amazing. So, of course, uh, other chains like Starbucks and McDonald's got into this one unit dispensing machine and they all use it like internationally now. So there you go. I can't take credit for the name, but this one particular shot I have, I call it as a joke, the Tim Hortons sure shot because it's the same every time. So, yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that game of tennis tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I better get going. I've, uh, it's getting late. I've got to go to, I've got to go to bed. Uh, get to get to bed on time for work tomorrow but I really hope you enjoyed this episode and that you're finding ways to laugh every day and find some joy uh, this pandemic is certainly uh, tough on everyone for for different reasons so so please as always feel free to email me at mcleodkate9 at gmail.com and if you want to share something or just say hi I'd love to hear from you So in shortly, hopefully shortly, I'm going to be interviewing a professor and a writer from California who is working on a project based on similar themes mentioned in this episode today. So please stay tuned. Um, And uh, I look forward to having her on the show. So as always, uh, be well, be safe and spread the kindness. Bye bye for now.